shall perish. But all men are created equal. If they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, then among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. With a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred
Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And uh, let's stand, if you would, if you're able to this morning, as you turn there, turn to chapter 1 of the book of Revelation. And, of course, you have an outline in your bulletin this morning. A lot of times I hear people say the book of the Revelations. It's the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And you'll see that this morning, but aside from the verses that you have in your outline this morning, I want to give you a little introduction from the Word of God. I believe the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. That was pretty weak. (laughs) Best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. There's a lot of good books out there, but you're not going to find a better one than the Word of God. And I want you to see this morning, as God led me to this thought, when love is gone. When love is gone, that's why we're having a couple's retreat. Seriously. You think about how many times we get married and the love grows cold. And we need from time to time to rekindle. And that's what the message is about this morning. In Revelation chapter 1, you follow along with me. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but I'm going to read this into Our text this morning, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse number 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ 
and of all things that he saw. Verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Drop down to verse number 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard him, I heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven, what? Churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot, and girt about with paps, with a golden girdle. Look down in verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went, went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth, in his strength. Verse 20, and the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven uh, candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven what? Churches. Chapter 2 verse 1. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the what? Churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst 
of the paradise of God. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you. Thank you for speaking to the church. Thank you for loving the church. Jesus, you did not give your life for the White House. You gave your life for the church. And Lord, today you have some words for your church. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, Bible Baptist Church, to see what it is that you commended them for, but also what you complained to them about. And Lord, help us to be overcomers. Give us the victory, Lord. Help us to be a church that you are pleased with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. We get into this portion of the Word of God called the book of Revelation. We read in chapter 1 how God instructs John, the apostle, the beloved, to write these things that we have read this morning. John was instructed to write to the seven churches. We just read in verse number 11, those churches by name. And I want you to get a little bit of the history here behind the message. We won't spend a lot of time historically, but I feel we need to set up because, again, the Word of God, the Bible, God's Word, is the best commentary on the Bible. And this morning as we look, Jesus has a word for each one of these congregations, each one of these churches that are seen here. Now, these churches that you see up here that are churches of an area known as Asia Minor, these churches you can see from the Word of God, they can be seen in three different ways. Now, I want you to think about this as you see those on the map, because one way that they are known and that can be known is prophetically. You see, each one of these churches represent different stages of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ over the past 2,000 years. Prophetically, we can see, like today, we're going to look at the church of Ephesus. This church represents the time period from the day of Pentecost to 100 AD. In other words, the beginning of the church. We have been studying on Sunday evenings in the book of Acts, the church in the first century. The book of Acts only covers a period of 30 years. But this time period represented by the church in Ephesus represents the great expansion of the early church. Jesus came, gave his life, he established the church, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus instituted the church and the church began to grow. But along the way, the church at Ephesus began to lose its zeal. Somewhere along the way, the church lost its fervency. These churches, all seven of them, can be viewed prophetically. They also can be viewed practically because, you see, to each one of these churches, the Lord Jesus gave these words, these letters, to literal, real congregations. I'm not looking at a church this morning as a building. I'm looking this morning at you, the people of God that are the church known as Bible Baptist Church. You see, I love the church. When I think about how practical the Word of God is, these letters were written to real churches. 
that existed during the early uh, first century, like the church in Ephesus, and you find that the Lord is speaking to churches like ours that is a church that is still in existence today. And I believe just as much as God had a word for the church in Ephesus, God has a word for Bible Baptist Church. You see, God can use these letters to these seven churches prophetically. He can use these letters practically, but he can also use them personally. And I love how God's word speaks to the individual, how God can speak to me. And by the way, God has spoken to my heart this week as I've been studying this passage in Revelation 2 about the church in Ephesus. See, if we're going to understand this city known as Ephesus, and it'll help us understand a little bit why the Lord said what he said to this church in Ephesus, you have to understand a little bit about the city. You see, three ways that you can understand Ephesus in the days that this was written is one is the church was important commercially. You see, in Ephesus, you find that it was the richest city in Asia Minor in its day. It was known for its magnificent harbor, and there were a lot of of ships that would come in and out of Ephesus and they would bring their goods, they would bring their wealth. And so we find that commercially this was a booming city. You can see the picture there of the marketplace and the area where people would come and they would bring their goods and they would distribute and they would sell and they would buy. And as the Bible says, they would get gain. And so it was a city that was important commercially. It was a city that was important politically. You see, this was a city that because of the, the, the Roman Empire, that Ephesus was a place that had been granted the right. It was known as a free city. Now, what that meant is that being a free city, that Ephesus had the right to, do, to practice whatever form of government that it wanted to, that they were free from the Roman government. The Roman troops were not stationed there. The garrisons of the Roman troops were not there. And by the way, because they didn't have the Roman government and they didn't have the Roman uh, garrison, the troops that were there, this city, unlike other cities of the day, was allowed to thrive because people didn't mind coming there because there was no government. They were a free city. See, it was a city that was important commercially. It was important politically, but it was also a city that was important religiously. Now, Ephesus was the home as you see on the next slide, to the temple of Diana, also known as Artemis. When you look at this, what many people refer to as one of the wonders of the world, I need to remind you this morning that Diana was the goddess of sex and fertility. That Diana was, uh, this temple was something that was filled every day with hundreds of prostitutes. Every day there was wickedness and vile things going on in Ephesus. And this was a very vile place. But can I remind you, when you study the Word of God, we have the book in our Bible called the book of Ephesians. It was to this wicked, vile city that God sent one of the greatest Christians that ever walked on the face of the earth. And we know him as the Apostle Paul. He went to Ephesus. The Bible tells us that this was a very wicked place and they were a place that uh, amazingly didn't just get to hear from the apostle Paul as I studied this week and in days gone by I find that they not only heard from the apostle Paul but they heard from Timothy and they got to hear from Aquila and his wife Priscilla 
They got to hear from Apollos that Aquila and Priscilla took under their wing. They also got to hear, got to hear from the apostle John. This was a, a city that was a privileged city because they got to hear some of the great giants of the faith of Jesus Christ in the early days. This was a church and a city that was active. Now the church was serving like many of our churches today. It was serving in a very wicked hour. God used this church in, in, in Ephesus to, to touch many lives. Many souls were saved. But if you look at the word of God, what we read this morning, and you fast forward about 30 years, you find that the Lord comes to this church in Ephesus and he speaks to them about where they are now and where he wants them to be. How many of you would want God to speak to you today? How many of you would say, God, are you happy with where I am today in my Christian life? And Lord, if not, where would you want me to be and ask God to show you the Lord comes to this church? You know why? Because he has all rights to. Because it's his church. You see, the Lord can come into his church anytime he chooses. And by the way, I pray that the Lord is here today because the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in his name, he has promised to be in the midst of us. And we need the Lord here today because if the Lord's not here, we're not having church, we're just having a meeting. Jesus is among his church. When he comes, he realizes this church in Ephesus was greatly blessed. It had a lot of spiritual light, but it was also a church that had a problem. The problem in the church in Ephesus was the church had grown cold. Somewhere along the way, they had fallen. Uh, Jesus comes with a message. And by the way, the message isn't all gloom and doom. It was a message of comfort. Can I remind you in verse number one, where the Bible says that he has this church safely in his hand. Look what it says there. The word holdeth. That word means that he is in complete, absolute control of the church in Ephesus. And he is reminding not only the church in Ephesus, but us today, that he is ever with us, that he is observing us, that he is protecting us, that he wants us to seek him and to serve him with our lives. But listen, the Lord has something he wants to say. How many of us would be willing this morning to say, Lord, whatever you want to say to the church, I want to hear it. And I hope that's your heart today. Because this church, like many in our nation today, was a church that desperately needed to recognize that they needed God's presence. And I want you to see this morning the words from the heart of our Savior to this church in Ephesus. Look at, first of all, the words of commendation. Look back in your Bible in chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number three, I know thy works and thy labor of love, thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. You see, he begins by talking about all the good things, all the things that were right in the church. Notice as he mentions here, their service. He, he uses a couple words to describe and to commend them for what they were doing. He says, 
I know thy works. In other words, all the things that you have done to accomplish for the Lord. And he says, not only do I know your works, but I know your labor. The word there, labor, some of us can identify with this. Here's what it literally means. It means that they had worked their fingers to the bone. They were intense in what they were doing for God. They were very active in doing the work of God. He says, I know thy works, thy labor, and how about this, thy patience. Now, the word patience means that in spite of all the opposition, and by the way, how many of you know that if Ephesus was a wicked, vile city, the last thing they wanted was an independent, fundamental, Bible-believing Baptist church in that city. And that's exactly what the world we live in today, they do not want a church that stays true to God's Word. And so, folks, there is always going to be opposition. Anytime you open up the Word of God, anytime you mention the name Jesus, there's going to be opposition. And the Lord commended them. He says, I know your patience and how in spite of the opposition you are enduring. Look, God didn't save us to coast into glory on flowery beds of ease. Notice, He saved us to be active in His work until He calls us home to glory someday. That's why Jesus said Himself, occupy till I come. The Bible says in Ecclesi- or 1 Corinthians 10, whatsoever therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So he begins by commending them for their service. He also commended them for their separation. Notice in verse 2, he says, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. In other words, here's some Christians that said, hey, look, I understand there goes the world, but guess what? I'm not going with them. I'm not going that direction. The world might say that's okay, and the world might say that's acceptable, but guess what? If it's in vogue in Ephesus, I'm not a part of that. That's what he says. Look, I commend you for your separation, how that you realize you live in a wicked, vile city. The immorality, the evil that defined their world was not a part of their lives. They took a stand. Listen, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be different. And that's exactly what they did. He commended them for their separation. Does not the Bible say, come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord? The Bible says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. I see a lot of Christians who are raised taught the doctrines, the Word of God, and as they they get older, they become more desensitized because of this wicked world that we live in, to where things that used to shock and awe them, they just accept it now. You see, you live in that cesspool long enough, it's eventually going to take its toll on your life. You're going to start to change some things, and that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light so shine before men. See, if your light's shining, then people see your witness. They see what you're doing. They say, hey, there is something different about that guy because he doesn't act like everyone else at work. And the Bible says that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. See, he commended them for their service. He commended them for their separation. He commended them, notice thirdly, for their standards. 
I mean, they, they, they literally uh, put these individuals to the test. Look what it says in verse number 6. He says, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In verse number 3, he says, he says, they say that they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars. You know, they were just like those in the book of Acts where the Bible says these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and they searched the newspaper. They searched CNN. No, they searched the scriptures. Hey, listen. Excuse me if somebody stands up in a sacred desk in what is called a church and is preaching something that is not in the word of God and has the audacity to say that they are an apostle. That's about the time you need to stand up and say, excuse me, that's not in the word of God. That's not in, last time I checked, this is a Bible-believing church. I run into people sometimes, notice again in verse number two, they say they are apostles. Folks, you need to study the word of God. There are people today that still teach and try to get people to swallow the lie that there are apostles still in this world today. Do you know to be an apostle you had to see the risen Savior? Now, unless somebody's discovered the fountain of youth, that's impossible. Understand there is no apostolic succession. But there are a lot of people out there that say that there are apostles in this world today. And the Bible says that we need to test them just like the church at Ephesus was doing. They were testing them by the standard of the word of God. He commended them for standing against this group in verse 6 known as the Nicolaitans. If you take that word, Nicolaitan, and you, you take it and break it down, the word Nikael is a word that means to conquer. And the word laos means people. Put it together now. It means to conquer the people. Now, there's some discussion, debate over who the Nicolaitans were. Uh, many believe there was a man by the name of Nicholas that was our leader of this group of people. It's really unsure exactly who they were. But one thing is sure is that they were a group of people that wanted to run the show and they wanted to keep people under their control. And there's a lot of people today. Listen, you're here this morning under your own free will. I don't have some kind of, you know, on you. I'm not here to dupe people. God's given us a free will, right? But God's given us something to govern our will, and it's called the Word of God. And there were these people that said that they were apostles, and the Ephesian believers, they refused, they refused, they refused to let false doctrine permeate in their church. We're just not going to allow that. We're not going to have that. I was talking to a man yesterday as we were going house to house, and I, and I shared some stuff with him. Brother Adam was there with me. You can ask him. I told the man, I said, look, do not take my word for it. Open your Bible and see if what I'm saying to you is true. Because folks, listen, they don't need my word. They need God's word. And he commended them because they had biblical standards. And then also he commended them for their steadfastness. In verse number three, he says, you have labored and have not fainted. They had stood the test. They had persevered even in spite of the opposition. The Bible says, let us be not be weary in well-doing, but in due season we shall reap if we faint 
not. Now listen, look at me. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? He was commending them for a lot of great things. Sounds to me like a good church. Do you notice the first word in verse number four? What is it? Yeah, those words are interesting in the Bible. Because the Lord took the time to commend them, but then notice he goes from his commendation to words of complaint. The first thing he does is he shares with them his disappointment. His disappointment, he says, I have somewhat against thee. Uh Uh-oh. You ever come... You ever come into the house and you know that your dad's looking for you? Boy, I got a problem. And my problem is you. And the Lord says, look, there is something about this church that I am not pleased with. Somebody said the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Jesus was grieved with the problem that he saw in the church And he sees what they were doing and who they were. And here's why. Because God knows your heart today and God knows my heart. We can sit here in a suit and a tie and look all churchy today. But God knows who we really are. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Jesus expressed his disappointment And then he shared with them his diagnosis. Here's what he says. He says, listen, he says, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first what? Love. Thy first love. You know, he was saying to them, you don't love me like you used to. You remember what it was like when we first met? You remember how excited you got when you realized that I died for your sins? I remember what it was like when my wife and I were dating. Man, I couldn't wait to see her. I couldn't wait till the phone rang. It was this thing that sat on the... (laughs) that had a cord that was curly and you'd pick it up. It wasn't something in your pocket. I couldn't wait till the mailman showed up with something called a letter. I'd I'd smell the envelope. Oh, I don't even know what perfume it was, but it was good. I'd take it out. I'd read it, and I'd read it again. I saved those notes. I still haven't forgot that. But I wonder, is my love the same for Jesus as it was when I met him 33 years ago? I remember how excited I was when I began to realize he died for my sins. He really was my first love. And Jesus says to the church, you don't love me like you used to. You see, they were like Martha. They were busy. They were doing things. 
but their hearts no longer burn for Him. It's easy to get that way, isn't it? The Bible says, I, have, I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. I, I don't really ascribe and spend a lot of time with the newspaper, but years ago I got kind of intrigued with the comic section. That's my speed. And uh, there was this comic strip in there that I just learned to just love. I don't even know if it's in the paper anymore. It was, it was called Leroy and Loretta, the Lockhorns. Anybody know who it is? A couple of us do. And I was, I was reading some this week, and I, and I always enjoy their comments to one another. And Loretta said to Leroy one day, she said, If you really love me, you would buy me a riding vacuum cleaner. <laughs> That's real love. Loretta was outside one day, and her neighbor came over, and they were standing there by the fence, and they were talking. And she looked at her neighbor, and Loretta said to her neighbor, she said, for our silver anniversary, Leroy gave me a roll of silver quarters. That's what he gave her. Doesn't sound like love to me. After slaving in the kitchen, because that's what he got her, she slaved in there for hours to make Leroy a nice meal. She brought the meal in, set it down on the table, and Leroy looked down at what Loretta had spent hours making in the kitchen. She looked, he looked at the plate, and then he looked up at Loretta, and he said, was the steak's final request to be cremated? <laughs> I hope your love is a little better than Leroy's. I hope you remember the love that you once had for the Lord. You see, this church in Ephesus was a church that was a group of people. Listen, they were saved. They were serving other people, but their motive for their service was all wrong. Love is the only worthwhile motive, and it's impossible to labor without love, but it is impossible to love without labor. You cannot be in love with the Lord and be inactive. If you love God, you will serve God. See, our hearts need to be filled with that first love that we once had. And Jesus gives some words of commendation. He commends them for what they did. And those words of commendation turned to words of complaint. And then his words of complaint, listen, turned to words of correction. Look what the Bible says in verse number 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent. And do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. I, I always struggle in my life when I was younger and even now as I'm older with those or else's. But sometimes they come. Do you know we're the ones that can change it to where the or else won't be what it could possibly end up being? Look at these words of correction because here's, here's my thought was this week was Jesus didn't come to hurt them, came to help them. If you're here this morning, listen, and you came this morning to meet the Lord, the Lord came to help you. He wants to help this church in Ephesus and 
He begins to tell them how they can fix what is wrong. Well, how do they do that? Here's his words of correction. Notice the first word, remember. He tells them, I want you to look back to the day that you trusted me as your Savior. I want you to look back to the way things used to be, to the excitement that we used to have, to the joy that you used to have in your heart, to the dreams that you once had, that the love that motivated you to do the things that you did. He says, I want you to remember. But the next word that he gives them is he says, not only remember, but he says, and once you remember, then I want you to repent. Now, what is repent? Biblical repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Folks, you cannot just keep going in that direction you're going because according to the Word of God, you've left your first love. And the Lord's saying today, come back. I'm waiting. I'm here. I want you to come back to me. But the decision is up to us to remember the joy that we once had and then to repent, to have a change of mind that leads to a change of action. They needed to repent of the sin of not loving him like they used to. And God is saying to us today, I want you to search your heart. Are you in love with me the way you should be? The Bible says if not, then we need to get right with God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Words of correction, remember. Repent. Look at the third word, repeat. Say, so what are you talking about, Pastor? Look at it again in verse 5. And do the first works. I wonder what my wife would do if I got out a piece of paper and I wrote her a letter and put it in an envelope and mailed it to her. I wonder what my wife would do if I put, we pulled up to a restaurant and I got out and ran around the car and opened up the door. I wonder what would happen if I started doing the things that I used to do. I wonder what the Lord would think if I started doing the first works. The things that I used to do. See, I used to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Now I only go on Sunday. I used to sing in the choir. Love to sing for the Lord. But I don't really have time for that anymore. Folks, there's a lot of things we used to do. According to this verse, verse 5, it says those are the first works. You know what first works are in our lives? Read your Bible. Pray. Witness. Glorify the Lord. Testify to other people about who God is and how much he means to you. Give to the Lord. Serve the Lord. These are all ways that we can fall back in love with the Lord and do his work. Listen, we need to be motivated to do the first works. So he says, look, don't just remember. He says, you need to repent. Once we repent, then you need to repeat. Now you could say, okay, I understand that. Listen to this fourth one. Here's the word of correction. If we don't remember and repent and repeat, there will be a removal. 
Look what it says in verse 5. It says, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Do you see what the Lord's saying to the church today? He's saying if there's no love for the Lord, there's no light for Jesus. If they refuse to get where they needed to be, then you know what he's going to do? He's going to remove or extinguish the light. No longer would they be a testimony in the community. A, a light that won't shine, guess what? It's worth nothing. Brother Kenny came to me and we just finished up some stuff around the church and he said, Pastor, we've got a bunch of light bulbs that were in fixtures that we used to use and for some reason, I guess we thought we were going to be able to use them again someday and we put them in the closet, you know, kind of like a lot of us do, you know, those clothes that we think we're going to get back into someday. And Brother Kenny said, Pastor, we've had these lights in this closet, but honestly, we don't have anything we even would be able to put them in. And I said, you might as well throw them away. They're good for nothing. And that's what he's saying here is that, or else I will remove the candle. I will remove the light. Jesus will not tolerate a church without love. We had a great time with our men yesterday, and I hope some of you men can join us in the coming months. We talked a lot about this one thought, about how everyone should feel welcome coming in the doors of this church. That who are we to think that a person has to look a certain way, dress a certain way, be a certain way? Do you know that Jesus loves everyone? He went to where people were, and he changed their lives through the truth and love. And see, a church without love is a church that the Lord cannot use. See, they had fallen. They had left their first love. I don't know who I'm talking to today. I don't know where you're at in your love life. But can I show you the one last word that he gives him? He gives him a word of consolation. Look at verse number seven. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Here's what God's saying to you today. Are you listening? Have you paid attention? This is for the church. And the Bible says in verse seven, to him that overcometh, in other words, to him that loves me, to him that serves me, to him that is motivated by his love for me, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You want to enjoy heaven someday? Look here, don't wait till you get to heaven to love the Lord. Start loving him today. You see, he had some words of commendation. We all like to hear good things, don't we? But Jesus didn't stop there because he said, I have somewhat against you. And the problem is, there's a problem with the heart. And this morning, what God is asking you to do is to check your heart. Are you in love with the Lord? Excuse me. Are you in love with the Lord the way you used to be in love with the Lord? Let's bow our heads this morning with our heads bowed. Everything's different when love is gone.
I pray that our church will always be a loving church. That we'll have the kind of love that the Lord has for us. And that that love will be the love we have for others. Lord, I pray that you bless the invitation this morning. Use the word of God as you have in the past, Lord, to speak to hearts. Lord, I believe that your word has gone forth this morning as you spoke to this church in Ephesus. And we are not the church in Ephesus. We are Bible Baptist Church. But Lord, I pray that these words are words that we would take seriously that we would be in love with you and our love would motivate us to do great things for you in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand with